Welcome to Vistas by WebCheck Security. News, views, and insights into the cybersecurity realm, leadership, and entrepreneurship. Produced by WebCheck Security, a world-class cyber penetration testing and risk mitigation company. My name is Greg Johnson, and I'm your host. Today's podcast welcomes Bradford Lewis, Weapons and Tactics Officer for the Air National Guard, Adjunct Cybersecurity Professor at the University of Maryland, and of course, Pentest Engineer Extraordinaire and Fractional CISO for WebCheck Security. We'll be discussing critical occurrences in the cyber, cyber world, along with leadership and optimism. Vistas is sponsored by Vivint Smart Home. Look, have you ever wondered what would happen if I were robbed? What would they get? Who do I call to protect me? Well, look no further than Vivint Smart Home. They have the best technology for cameras, doorbells, garage sensors, window sensors, thermostats, everything you need all on one app. For world-class security and home automation, call Vivint today at 1-800-570-1313. That's 1-800-570-1313. Now, Vistas is also honored to be sponsored by Nexus IT, a worry-free, hyper-responsive approach to providing world-class IT support and solutions so business leaders can focus on their business. Shout out to Earl Foote and his crew, another amazing CEO with high integrity and a great bass player. Reach out to Earl's crew for your IT security needs at www.nexusitc.net. I might add that Earl and his crew will be at uh, uh, many forthcoming events, so go to their website, uh, look up their webinars, you won't be sorry. All right, now WebCheck Security was recently blessed in the extreme to become acquainted with Bradford Lewis. Brad has proven to be an extraordinary penetration tester and fractional information security officer, and here's why. Brad has been an intelligence analyst and network operations officer for the Montana Air National Guard, network analyst for Raytheon, cybersecurity specialist and weapons tactics officer for the Washington Air National Guard and U.S. Air Force, as well as serving the University of Maryland as an adjunct professor of cybersecurity. Mr. Lewis holds a master's degree in cybersecurity with undergraduate bachelor's and associates in information system security and intelligence operations. Hey, but wait, there's more, folks. His list of professional credentials is too long to read on, in the whole, but here's some of the, uh, what I deem the key cyber ones. The uh, uh, enviable CISSP, which only high-level practitioners and CISOs tend to, uh, tend to get. The GIAC web application Penetration Tester, GX Certified Intrusion Special Analyst, GX Certified Penetration Tester, GX Network Forensic Analyst, AWS Certified Cloud Practitioner, Certified Ethical Cat Hacker, or CEH, the AWS Academy Accredited Educator, Offensive Security Certified Professional, and there's eight others that I haven't mentioned here. How'd I do on that list, Brad? Greg, first off, I'd like to say thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, with that introduction, it makes me sound a lot cooler than what I, I really think that I am. It's just uh, a person that likes to learn. So I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to talk about cybersecurity. Yeah, well, we're really honored to have you here today, Brad. And I have to say, too, uh, I have a son-in-law who's active uh, Air Force munitions. He's a staff sergeant and uh, 
he does cool stuff here. I, I won't go into that right now. Down a rat hole, it, it'd be exciting to talk about the medal he recently won and the things he's doing. But I, Air Force personnel rock, man. They're the best. Also, uh, I have a, a son who served uh, in the Air Force, and he was a, a media and um, combat camera specialist. So he got to do cool things like uh, videotaping things as he was rappelling out of a Chinook helicopter. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen uh, that kind of video footage. Chances are he might have produced that so again uh brad just just uh so honored uh that you're part of the team and and to have you on the show well tell us a little bit about your family so we know that you're a kind of a, a one side a stuffed shirt uh uh you know a million certs guy but there's a cool side to brad too so tell me about your wife your kids where'd you meet your wife and and where do you live today and all that good stuff uh, a little bit of background about me is I've uh, been in the Air Force going on 18 years, but I met my wife 11 years ago, and we met when, through a, a mutual friend that I was stationed over in Georgia with. And then from there, we just kind of did the whole long-distance relationship for a while. When I was over in Japan, we finally got married. She moved over there. Fantastic. And then we've been moving around the country. We've lived in Europe. We've lived in Japan. We've lived in Texas. We've lived in Mississippi. We lived in, uh, I think, my oldest daughter, so I'll get to my kids, but my oldest daughter, she's nine. She's lived in 11 different locations in her life. So we're definitely, we live the, the gypsy lifestyle is like what we like to call it. And we're constantly on the move. Um, big picture is, as really everything that I do is focused around my family. I have three kids, two old, two daughters and one son. My oldest is nine years old. My younger daughter is seven, and then my son is three years old, three years old. And then we also have a, uh, a golden doodle who's one year old, a mini golden doodle. <laughs> well, you're, and, you're a busy dude, man. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a roller coaster ride for sure, but um, they keep me on my toes. That's fantastic. I, I, you know, I'm a grandpa now. I probably told you this. I have six grandchildren, and uh, I play with them, and, you know, I'm fit and I'm active, but I know why you have children when you're young. So enjoy that part of your life, my friend, while you've got all the mitochondria and all the energy and your telomeres are dividing properly. <laughs> well, well, Brad, let's uh, let's talk about cybersecurity for a minute. Um, well, I, and, but before we even go there, I just tell, tell the audience uh, your, your rank in the military and what is your general outlook on leadership? I think that would be of interest to this group. Well, so I started out as enlisted, and like I said, that was 18 years ago, and I came in as an aircraft mechanic. And the reason I joined, because I, I never wanted to go to school. I, I was tired of high school. I didn't think college would have been a good fit, so I joined the military. And as I progressed to the ranks, um, I was a staff sergeant, and then I made tech sergeant, which is E6. And um, when I got up to that rank, I, I said I, I wanted to do more, but I didn't know how I was going to get there. And I wanted to be more in a leadership role. So I decided to go back to college. Um, I got my degree. I put in a commissioning package and I got selected. And there was a couple different career paths along the way. But the one that I really focused in on was cybersecurity. And I never had a passion to learn until I started learning more about cybersecurity and the effects that it has. And that's both offensive and defensive. So when it comes to the leadership, I wanted to be able to convey that passion to find other people that were into that, that maybe didn't have the path down, but how I could help persuade them, how I could help uh, grow them as professionals. And then once it got into the cybersecurity realm, it kind of just had this snowball effect 
of, of leading training and then conveying a passion. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, it's a lot harder to lead people that maybe are passionate because they don't see the same, um, you know, through the same lens. But. Interesting. So, so one of your keys to success, two, two keys to success, I guess, Brad, if, if I were to summarize that is passion and leadership. So I look at, you know, there are a lot of uh, college-age individuals, too, that tune into this podcast because they're trying to figure it out, right? And this this is a podcast about not just cybersecurity and technology, but also leadership and entrepreneurship. And and so I'm going to make sure that they they hear your voice today, Brad. We're going to we're gonna market this a lot to some of the, the, the college set and those that are trying to figure it out. But it, but it sounds like um, you've you tried a lot of different things. You found cybersecurity, and that passion helped to drive you n- not only to learn, but to want to serve others. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, and I still talk to my wife, like, hey, when am I going to find a big kid job? What do I like to do? And I finally found it. But it took me, I would have never been able to do it between that 18 and 22 year old, hey, what are you doing in college? What are you going after? I I never knew. I was an aircraft mechanic. And I said, okay, I'm good at this, but I don't want to be turning wrenches till I'm 60 years old. And then I joined space systems and I was flying satellites, a multi-billion dollar platform. Um, It's called Space Base Infrared. And it, it looks for infrared signatures. I got really good at it and I rose to the top where I couldn't really go any further. And I was like, what else can I do? And then it just kind of cascaded. So then I was an Intel analyst and I was like, this isn't for me. I finally struck an, an, a niche when it came to cybersecurity. And we can get into this in a little bit, um, but it, it's really because it's a constantly changing domain. It's man-made and I'm able to constantly learn and you can't be the best at it. There's, it's, it's literally impossible. Well, and clearly you've developed a love of, of learning. My, I have a meager uh, PCIP, which is PCI professional certification, and it's not that hard to get, to be honest. I had uh, a long kind of a storied history, more on the business development side um, and working for Novell, where I developed some technical chops, but uh, uh, wanted to stay kind of embedded in that very important cyber arena. So understanding PCI has always been important, but obviously I'm leading the company WebCheck Security and not the practitioner. And I've made that choice and that decision is to hire amazing guys like you and let you have all the fun. But again, kudos uh, for that love of learning. Brad, one more thing before we dive into um, cybersecurity and, and what we're calling nation state advanced persistent threats. Is there a connection, Brad, between um, serving others? Um, I know you and I share a, a Christian uh, faith and background. Um, how, how does that uh, faith and, uh, I guess, Christianity, does, does that help you in your career? Has it blessed your life? What's the connection there? I think more recently, more than ever, um, I've really tend to focus on my faith and how it's brought all these opportunities into my life. I don't believe it's by coincidence. I believe it's hard work. I believe it's dedication, but I also do believe it's faith-based in that aspect due to, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to put into words and articulate it, but I, I don't think all of this is coincidental. I've worked really hard. I've had a great relationship with my wife and supported me. And then I'd say more recently than ever, because I was never really religious growing up and the older I get, the more I want to know more about it. And like you said, that passion for learning and, and listening to speakers and learning about God and Jesus and Christianity, it's very intriguing to me. And it's, um, I, I, I do believe I was set on this path and I hope that I can spread 
um, my knowledge when it comes to a variety of different topics, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's personal, whether it's religious. Interesting. So, you know, I've always heard it said, Brad, that success happens where preparation meets opportunity. And I've always been a, a believer, too, that uh, that God is willing to bless us, but but he won't just dump it on us. We actually have to work. There's a reason why we're here. You, you learned that at PT in the military. The more push-ups you do, the more sculpted your chest gets. <laughs> you can't just sit back and say, hey, uh, I'd like to have a nice chest, but you yeah, don't do um, anything about it, right? You can't you can't run a, a five-minute mile if, if you're training uh, at, at an 11-minute mile like I do, right? So, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in that, Brad, that, that, that God is there, that he blesses us. Uh, but when we exercise opportunity, good things happen. And clearly you've done that in your life. So <laughs> congratulations and, and keep on going. Well, listen, let's dive into the attack realm. So when we were preparing for this podcast, uh, Brad, you brought up the fact that Iran has recently been discovered as trying to exploit uh, an advanced persistent, using an advanced persistent threat that uh, ta- uh, targets Microsoft Exchange servers and other technology so really there's two questions here first let's describe for our audience what is an advanced persistent threat and what is this one specifically and i guess three questions is there such thing as nation state attacks are they really happening let's start there yeah absolutely and especially from my position and what i do we get firsthand knowledge of a lot of this and so not you can take any nation state whether russia china Iran. And it's just really the the highlight for Iran is that they're really stepping up their game. They understand this is one of the things with North Korea and Iran, that they have been kind of an underdog in the world stage when it comes to, say, like um, kinetic warfare. And now they have this ability to impact nation states that they don't agree with, um, with devastating consequences. And it's they can literally reach out and touch you know, the federal government any day that they want. So they've really stepped up their game in the past like five to 10 years where they do have these abilities to create zero days, whether they're buying them or they're building them in-house. They've proven that they can exploit these. And that's the thing. That's one of the awesome things about cyber is the attribution is so difficult. Like you could say that it's Iran or someone's just hopping out of their country for their point or their pivot. Um, So it's, it's really interesting to see but it's also uh, very unsettling as well because anyone in the cybersecurity knows that there's there's holes everywhere and they're constantly changing every day. So these nation state attacks are real and that was kind of a rhetorical question. Um, but tell, tell us, uh, there are certain things obviously that you're not allowed to say. Um, I have attended some FBI briefings um, in the past years uh, with the Salt Lake City region where some really smart uh, agents and interesting folks have brought the cybersecurity community together to make us aware of the things that were happening. And I must say I was ignorant prior to those briefings. I, I didn't realize the extent to which, for example, um, China, and, and, and I hate using a broad brush to say China because there's so many wonderful people in China. Uh, but specifically, there are parts of the Chinese government that want to dominate world technology in about 10 specific verticals. I have a copy of their uh, <laughs> their actual master plan. You've probably seen this. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they basically want to rip off, replace, and then dominate. Uh, what, what can you tell us about the reality of 
of that. And and Brad, what's the percentage of of bad actors, just criminals versus nation states that are hacking us? Well, it really depends. So like, yes, APTs, advanced persistent threats, they definitely exist. And nation states, they're investing huge sums of money into building their operators. And it's exactly what we do in the United States too. My primary goal is to train operators on the defensive side when it comes to finding these people. Um, the per- Percentage-wise, I couldn't even give you a, a rough wag, but it's um, I'm trying to formulate this in a, in a way that would be beneficial and not spill, spill too much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like there, it's, it's definitely um, a reality that we live in now is that these people are out here every day, 24 hours a day, and they're, they're constantly trying to exploit something when it comes to nation state actors and like formalized military members, you don't know if it's a nation state or if you just have a lot of really intelligent, um, actors in their mom's basements where they all team up and they find a hole and they're, they're able to exploit it. So it's, it's hard to tell. And that's, that's that attribution factor. So I, I don't, I don't, I couldn't give you a percentage, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Well, and I imagine there are some things that, that, uh, you've learned, uh, in your military service that, uh, you, you, you probably can't, can't discuss, but what do you know of organizations like Revel and DarkSide that are actually funded by the Russian government and others? Well, a lot of times they get subcontracted out in that aspect where they say, Hey, um, you won't be held accountable for these actions and this is our end state and we're willing to pay you really good money. So when it comes to dark side, yes, they took uh, credibility for the, the pipeline hack. And, and then you have re re what is it? Revel revel. Um, they yeah. ask astronomical sums of Bitcoin, but these all, a lot of these industries that they're attacking have some sort of political influence, whether it's um, economic whether it's uh, and a lot of them, they'll keep quiet. I think maybe it was probably seven or eight years ago. The dwell time for an APT to be in a system was 18 months. That's a long time to get any information that you want out. Wow. We, so, so pause there for a minute. What that what you just said was, is that people are that bad actors are getting into systems and hanging around for 18 months before they're discovered. Is that what you just said? That was probably seven to 10 years ago. Okay. We have lowered that gap significantly, but they're still seeing dwell times up to six months. That's six months. That's a really long time to not be found. Yeah, and that's that's a, a, a figure that I've heard before, and that seems to be um, that seems to be the average. So, Brad, are there key indicators of compromise, also as known as IOCs, that can tip off a company? And, and call them to action before their data gets crypto lockered. <laughs> so it's it's funny you ask that because a lot of people think they're just going to, oh, it's going to flag on antivirus and we're going to find them. And that's not how it happens in the real world. Right. A lot of this traffic that they're looking at is legitimate traffic, whether it's SMB connections. Um, the majority of these have been credential dumps. So your login is, is valid a valid user right and you have valid credentials so this just looks like your employee is gazing around you know it's it's really um this is where it comes into endpoint training which i'll I'll hit on a lot more later on but it really comes down to end user and endpoint one you need endpoint monitoring but you also need soft analytical skills for your defenders 
They have to understand correlation of different events. Why is this happening shortly after this happened? And being able to tie those two together is a it's a difficult skill to teach, but it is doable. Well, it is, and it also requires tools. Um, my partner, business partner Jeff, and I came from um, a long technology career. One of the companies we we both worked at was a company that that built a SOC as a service. That's a security operations center as a service for our listeners that may not be familiar with that term. And uh, it, it costs millions of dollars to build those things. You need the tools, you need the servers, and then you need to hire Bradford Lewis's <laughs> that, that, that actually know what they're doing and can correlate those things. Um, at WebCheck Security, we partner with an outsourced, uh, well, several SOC services, but one in particular, Security On Demand, that um, uses advanced AI to find those kinds of things. And, and let me tell you, it's, uh, it's hard to do. I think that's why those companies have been so successful, meaning SOC as a service companies, because uh, uh, a client can have the peace of mind of knowing that somebody is watching their back and, and not have to put the millions into it to, to try and build that surface up. Um, but I, I look forward to, to having a discussion in a minute about uh, some of those concepts. All right, so we're going to take a little break here. WebCheck Security looks to Nexus IT to partner partner for IT operations. We've been talking about uh, some of the uh, analytics and the concepts surrounding cybersecurity, but somebody's got to run the IT shop. It used to be notebooks, posters and banners, proofreading ads and physical invites, but now it's virtual servers and desktops, internet content filtering, web hosting, cloud infrastructure, and more. Ready to jump your company forward a few decades? Let Nexus IT consultants show you how. To go to find out more, go to www.nexusitc.net or call them at 435-659-2533. That's ready for this? 435-659-2533. And once again, thanks to Nexus IT for sponsoring this podcast. And we're back with Brad Lewis, professor and web check engineer. Brad, so what in general are some of the key vulnerabilities that you're seeing over and over again as a pen test engineer? Um, when it comes to pen testing, you know, I'd say a lot of the majority of it would just be overlooked services. Maybe you have ports open that shouldn't be. Um, when it comes to specifically web apps, it really just depends on kind of the back end. Um, I'd say a lot of cross-site scripting still is out there, and but mitigations are in place. Uh, a lot of people that are even considering pen test have some general knowledge of web security. So I find that they may have a, a stronger security aspect when it comes to that. And some, so some of the really basic, um, simple exploits, they don't really exist. You really have to dig in and try to get that back end to do something that it wasn't normally um, prepared to do or what it was originally built around, but. Interesting. Well, it, it, it's funny. You mentioned cross-site scripting errors, injection errors, those kinds of things. They, uh, uh, back in 2007, I spoke at the PCI, uh, world community meetings. Um, and, uh, I was, uh, one of the speakers on the main stage. And I think it's because my, my speech was accepted because I called it the song remains the same kind of based out after the Led Zeppelin album in, in the seventies. And, and it was basically the concept that, uh, 
penetration testing, so important to the PCI industry, obviously, to try and find the holes before the bad actors do, but that uh, some of the top 10 findings are still the ones we were finding 10 years ago. And that was in 2000 and, and, and not 2007, 2017, uh, which is not that long ago. And so what you're telling me, Brad, is uh, we're still finding some of those same things that, that we've been finding for the past decade in organizations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you'll see the OWASP, um, you know, the top 10 of most found, and they'll just kind of switch places. You know, maybe it's XXE this time. I know, um, you know, a lot of the parsers were, they maybe were filtering, um, you know, user input on cross-site scripting, but maybe not on XXE or, or JavaScript that's being injected. So it, they just kind of switch places. They're still all there. And even some of these huge names, they're finding vulnerabilities. If you're looking at, you know, Hacker One and Hacktivities, they're finding huge um, multi-thousand-dollar rewards for some of these actors that you would think that, or some of these websites that you would think would have the greatest web security out there, right? So it's all about changing your mentality and changing your thought process to get it to do something that it maybe shouldn't be doing. Right. So a lot of these companies, you bring up a good point. They have web application firewalls, especially uh, folks that are going through AWS and they're using Cloudflare and they may put in a virtual Imperva. Talk to me about that a little bit, Brad. Why do we still need to do penetration testing um, if organizations have all of these advanced uh, and, and they're running uh, Sentinel-1 and you know SOC as a service? Talk to us about that. Why do they still need pen testing? Because in the end, in my opinion, these are all built by human beings. Humans make mistakes all the time. I am clearly evident of that. And um, I talk <laughs> to my kids about this every day. We make mistakes every day. And in the end, these web, these applications, they're great, right? They're a huge deterrent. They may do stuff, but there's always some sort of bypass. There's always something. They might have forgot something. They might have hard-coded credentials into it. Like, And these are the people that have that passion and that drive that we talked about earlier that are able to kind of think through some of this and then maybe say, hey, how could I do this differently instead of a standard user? What do, And then... That's where, you know, your bypasses and um, your, your different techniques come to get past the web application firewall and then you go dive deeper into that web application. Interesting. Let's, let's back up for a minute. Let's talk about this uh, Iran APT that's hitting exchange servers. Do you have any other um, insight that you'd like to offer for that? What, would, what should organizations do about that one? Because there's still a lot of exchange servers out there. Not everyone's moved to old 365. Absolutely. And it really comes down to, since these are now publicly disclosed, they know this. And like you said, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security comes out with bulletins that say, hey, this one is actively being exploited in the wild. You need to do X, Y, and Z. Take those remediation actions seriously because the internet's constantly being scanned. And if they know that port and they know that it may be tied to this IP um, listing for an organization, they're going to exploit it. So it really comes down to patch management. It comes down to having uh, a plan in place and monitoring for specific activities. The MITRE attack index is huge. And they also came out with a MITRE defend that tells you, hey, if you're seeing these type of actions, it's a good chance it could be this. This is what you need to do to defend against it. So organizations should take that stuff very seriously because they may not think they may be a priority, but you don't know what the end state of any one of these countries really is. Well, that, that brings up an interesting thing. There are a lot of 
listeners to this podcast that some of them know exactly what the MITRE attack index is and others don't. Um, and, and one of the things that, that we do at WebCheck Security is we send in uh, these really cool paratroopers like you <laughs> to help organizations with their, their plan, right? Um, have you, uh, let's talk a little bit about, about that in, in the military. Have you had um, the opportunity to review or look at incident response plans? I know you've recently done some client engagements where you've uh, looked at that kind of planning. How important is that for an organization? It's extremely important because a lot of the ones that we see are the most catastrophic effects are the ones that don't have even a rough plan in place. Well, we don't know what we'd do if we got compromised. So building that out and whether it's table talk, whether it's getting policies and procedures in place, technical administration procedures, all of that stuff plays a a vital role. And it's really that layered defense aspect. You want to have different layers that don't create one gaping hole in your security. So if they, if a layer is bypassed, you have other layers in place to help protect. That That's interesting. Here we are uh, right up against Thanksgiving, and I like to call that the Thanksgiving pie approach. And and I use this analogy. You know, I, um, well, yesterday, we had kind of a Sunday um, evening get-together, uh, kind of a pre-Thanksgiving party. Since um, all of my siblings now have children that have children, and it's hard to, kind of, you know, we're all pulled in different directions for Thanksgiving. For example, we're having Thanksgiving with our children and uh, some of my siblings with with just their children, and that's great and appropriate. So we all got together last night, and boy, Brad, was there pie there, right? There was pumpkin pie. uh, There was lemon pie. There was apple pie that my my brother makes, and he does a great job. My sister makes all kinds of sweets. Uh, There was a, a Danish strudel <laughs> from Wisconsin, uh, but listen, cybersecurity is like that. I, in fact, we have a, a picture of a a pie that we use in a lot of our presentations, and some of those wedges would include things like uh, endpoint protection, penetration testing, like we've been talking about, uh, log monitoring, and advanced SOC alerting, uh, but policy, incident response, business continuity, and disaster planning those those are key points too, as you've mentioned. And, um, you know, what, I, what I'm hearing you saying is it doesn't matter how good your policy is if you don't have a runbook. Look, s- software and engineering and firmware, it's ones and zeros, man. It can be built by people. It can be deconstructed by people. <laughs> Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's just one of those things that organizations need to have the mentality. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And it's, it's that, I mean, it may sound cliche, but like that, that really is, if you have enough time and money and an organization wants to exploit yours, it will get in. It's a matter of what you're going to do once they do. Right. So, you know, to my point, creating a run book uh, is kind of the, the term that I like to use is a run book or a playbook for a lot of our clients. You know, they'll come to us for compliance reasons, Brad, like, Hey, help us. Uh, I think you recently helped us, uh, client get get in alignment with SOC 2. Those those are simple things, right? Uh, the CIS framework is a great framework to put into organizations, especially uh, smaller ones. It can be done in chunks. Uh, but the point is, why are we doing this? Not just to get our certificate that says we're SOC 2 compliant, right? We we want to really have a cybersecurity program, and, and that's where we send in guys like you to help build that runbook. Talk to us about a tabletop exercise. So how would that look in an organization? 
It, it's pretty simple. I mean, you, you kind of hash out. It could be really simple or it could be really in-depth. It depends on how far you want to take this. But you get all your key investors, your key uh, management employers, yeah, your stockholders, and you allow them to sit around a table and you pre- present a scenario. Hey, we have an end user that decided to click a link. Um, what happened when this link was clicked? They got a pop-up. And then we don't know what happened. What do we do from here? What is our incident response? Do we quarantine the system? Do we call in, you know, an external agency to come investigate? How far did it go? Did they make external connections? Were they able to load any tools? Or are they living off the land, you know, using native tools as PowerShell and um, whatever else, whether it's a command prompt or anything like that? So um, you you talk to the entire scenario so that everyone is aware of where their function lies and what role they'll play during an incident. And and some of the things, Brad, that people don't think about, and, and when I say people, I'm talking about organizations, particularly, you know, if they have sensitive data. And that's almost a dumb statement, isn't it? Because if you employ people, do, do you pay them a wage? Do you have their social security number? Or are you transmitting it to the payroll uh, administrator? You, you see what I'm saying? Every business, right? Absolutely. And it's funny you say that because like um, people in these these nation states or even just actors, bad actors that are using ransomware, they're smart enough. They say, hey, you know, we we're going to encrypt your stuff. Well, that's fine because we have a great backup policy. Oh, we didn't tell you that we exfilled all your stuff and then we will release all your private information as well if you don't pay us. So it's a it's a double edged sword. You, you could say, oh, that's fine. They can, they can encrypt everything because we have all these awesome backups and we'll find the hole. That's great. But you, all your information, all your stockholders, everything's all taken already. So, so it's t- a matter. Yeah, yeah. So sorry. So, so to that point, Brad, um, it, it's important that organizations have a relationship with a cyber attorney because if they engage that attorney, everything's covered under attorney-client privilege. There may be a point where they have to go out and do some PR and some damage control and notify clients. I mean, every state now or most states have either some kind of privacy legislation or here's the rub, um, sometimes if it's big enough, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, FTC, um, can get involved. And the way, and, and I know this because uh, we, uh, we know of, um, I have to be careful what I say here, uh, an organization that uh, at one point lost some data and was censured uh, by the FTC. And, the, uh, and even though they didn't engage the cyber attorney, this particular organization pre-breach uh, hadn't demanded any attention to good cyber hygiene and therefore due diligence. yep they due diligence that's the key right they they yeah. weren't behold, yep cya they weren't following a framework uh they hadn't really designated anyone uh but anyway the point is the ceo hadn't talked about it there wasn't evidence in the emails and now every endeavor that that ceo does is subject to ftc scrutiny and it's and, and it's a pain but it, you know it's a learning experience so you know my point is is that um it's important at, to your point to have a run book and that run book may involve do you have uh cyber insurance who do you contact who is your uh attorney that you can bring in um because the cost of a breach is not just the data there's so much more right 
No, you like you touched on earlier, the loss of public trust can literally tank an organization. You can see a lot of organizations that have lost a lot of public trust here in the recent media. And what do they do? They change their name. So they're not affiliated with it anymore. They could say, oh, that was that old company. We're a new company now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, SolarWinds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Solar Facebook. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Well, listen, Brad, this has been uh, so far about 35 minutes of really good stuff. There's a couple of things that I'd like to get to um, be, before we end this podcast. Number one, um, I always like to have key takeaways for listeners of this show, and I'm going to divide that in, into two. The first one is if, if I'm a business owner, Brad, um, what is it that you want me to know? as a business owner with regards to cybersecurity? What's a key action item or takeaway? I'd say you it's, it's definitely a must in any size organization. If you plan to be a successful organization, you have to take cybersecurity seriously. Now it depends on the budget. Like we've talked about this before, there's proprietary tools that do awesome things. Sock on demand, you have Mandiant, you have Carbon Black, um, you know, I think, who FireEye just got bought, bought out by Mandiant, I believe. Right. And they, they make all these awesome tools, but a lot of these organizations, especially on the smaller end, um, they don't have that budget to fill that. So like in regards to that, a lot of these tools are open source and they make amazing open source tools. You need to find one analyst that has a drive and that understands you need endpoint protection and you need something to correlate that data. Because that, that alone will set you up for success. So in a worst-case scenario, uh, find someone that's passionate and and uh, use open source, but don't do nothing. <laughs> exactly. I'd agree with that. Well, the second takeaway, Brad, uh, I, I would ask you in terms of um, college students and maybe even high school students that maybe they've expressed an interest in cybersecurity. But going back to the pie analogy – you can become an engineer, you can become an analyst, you can become a pen tester, you can become a CISO, uh, like the track that, that, that you've done, as, as well as a pen tester. You can be a, a secure code engineer. There's so many different tracks, right? You could be a sales guy, uh, business development, like on my side, and that requires a certain amount of cyber knowledge, engineering, technology knowledge in order to provide the solutions before you pass it off to the engineers. What would you advise uh, young people or even people who are looking for a career change in terms of their education and trying to figure out where to go with cybersecurity. And like, I don't know if I'm one of the best or one of the worst to discuss this topic because like <laughs> I get bored and I find a new hobby or joy, but I think it really comes down to finding something that you're passionate about. If you want to be a leader and you still like cybersecurity realm, there's definitely routes for that as well. That's your CISSP. That's your, um, you know, your policy and procedure. Maybe you're not as a we have a lot of people that may not feel as they are as technical as they want to be, or they don't want to be technical and they want to be on the managerial side, but still play a role. So find something that you're passionate about and then start learning about it. There's so many resources out there that are so widely available, whether it's YouTube, whether it's blogs, whether it's your podcast, um, to reach out to some of these sources and, and start learning about it because it took me a long time. But then in the end, I, I really enjoy breaking stuff on, but doing it legally. I love finding um, offensive capabilities that are cool and new exploits um, that I can exploit and say, hey, I got your stuff and this is how we're gonna fix it because now we're doing a two-part service, you know? 
hey, yes, you were very vulnerable, but now we're fixed and you're you're making the overall cybersecurity stance better, stronger as a whole. And there's just so many resources out there to help tailor your decision. Cause I was there, I was there in high school, I was there in college. And I said, what am I want, what do I want to do in life? And uh, I think it just took a lot of trial and error for me. But I think going back, if I would have focused on something that I knew that I liked, even in high school, I, I could have um, been further along in my career than I am now, but I, I can't complain. It's been a good, good role. So what you're saying is, you know, People get passionate about things, but maybe they don't know the right direction. So you're saying try stuff, right? Try stuff, and that will lead to other stuff. And and then it helps you to find your niche. Is that kind of good advice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have to, you know, dip your toes in the water before you figure out that you can swim. So you, you, you dabble in something. Maybe it's not. I started dabbling in risk compliance and stuff back, you know, five, ten years ago. And I was like, man, this stuff is kind of boring. I understand the necessity, and it's very crucial to a lot of these organizations, but I wouldn't say that I have that passion. I may, I, I know a lot about it, and I, I work with it a lot, but I wouldn't say that's where my passion is. And for people to help determine that, it all depends on its priorities, like your quality of life. Um, is it just you? Are you able to dedicate you know, all these hours to learning how to pen test, to web app test? Or do you have family and you're you're just a nine to five and you want to go and be a manager and 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 have a leadership role? So it comes down to priorities, and then um, you, you have to try stuff out to know if you're going to like it or not. Can I add a little elbow grease and goal setting? Never never hurts too. Uh, absolutely. You, you, you can't substitute good hard work, and and clearly you've learned the value of that in in your career because of uh, well the results speak for themselves. Your your degrees your certifications, uh, the cool roles that you have and, and play in organizations, including ours. Um, hard work's important, isn't it? Absolutely. Nothing's going to beat hard work. If you put in the time and the dedication about something that you're working for, and like you said, you have goals to obtain, um, they'll pay off in the end as long as you don't lose sight of that. Life happens. I've heard so many excuses of, oh, I can't go back to school. I'm so busy. I have three kids. I have three kids. I, I was writing papers at work or off the clock when I'm, you know, um, on the weekends and my kids are sleeping. It's, it's definitely something that I didn't take lightly and hard work. I'm in an, I'm in an environment that provides a lot of opportunities and I'm not one to turn down free education, lower cost education. And if it's cool enough, a lot of the certs I paid for out of my own pocket because I enjoyed learning the material. Fantastic. I'm just going to add one thing, Brad, and that is that uh, sometimes the mountain can seem overwhelming, but you move it one shovel load at a time, <laughs> right? One, yeah, there's a key phrase that I think one of my old bosses told me. He said, how do we eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one, one bite at a time. So you take manageable tasks, you set your short-term goals, hey, I'm going to finish this class and by this date. And then you just keep chipping away at the block, and eventually you'll obtain those goals you'll set new ones and it's kind of this cascading effect. And maybe the first bite is just registering, just signing up for something. Right. <laughs> and the yeah, next bite is out of your, do less than one. Comfort zone is big. People get so, I'd say people, myself included, um, you you get comfortable in a position and it's, it's kind of, it's unsettling to not know or step out of that security zone because you're so you're comfortable, you know what you're doing, you know what you're getting paid, you know, but I think for me, there's a big drive. I just want to give my kids 
a better upbringing, better lifestyle than I had growing up. And um, to do that, you know, you have to have dedication and you got to put forth that hard work. Well, Brad, this has been a, a phenomenal session, both in terms of uh, leadership initiative uh, service um, and, of course, cybersecurity awareness. I, w- I want to thank you for being on our show today. Uh, Brad, folks would love to talk to you, so I'm just going to encourage people to reach out to us at Get In Touch. That's real easy. Get in touch at webcheckedsecurity.com. We'll arrange a conference with Brad or uh, forward you to his email, and he would absolutely love to talk to you. Brad? Honored to have you here. Thank you so Great. much. I appreciate, I appreciate all the time. I appreciate everything that you do for me and my family. And I, I appreciate being on this show. Thanks again, Brad. We'll have you on again. Dreaming in the fake light. The bus will let me stay.